Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey everyone, Yas here, and I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have another fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favor to ask, and that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends, and don't forget to get in touch, guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter at the Coaches Net. Once again, that's at the Coaches Net, and please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day, guys. The Coaches Network. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas and I've got a very special guest with me this evening. My guest this evening is Alex Inglethorpe. Good evening, Alex. How are you, man? I'm good. How are you? Very well, thank you. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Alex, just before we get into the heart of it, for those that maybe don't already know who, who you are, maybe just give them a bit of insight around what you do, how you got there, and we can go from there. Oh, long story, because I'm quite old now. So um, I am the Academy Director at Liverpool Football Club. So that means, obviously, I'm in charge of, or tasked with the charge of the, um, being in charge of the Academy. And I've held that position for nearly, nearly 10 years now. So um, fortunate to work with some outstanding players and staff. Uh, journey was, I suppose, what was it? I suppose previous life I was a footballer, not a fantastic one, but one that earned a living for 11 years as a pro. So um, I guess I'd, I'd always sort of had, from probably very early, I'd, I'd always thought about coaching. In fact, even when I was 18, I'm playing for Watford at the time. I used to go and take my friend's team and take their, they asked me if I can take them training. So as an 18-year-old, I probably had a responsibility of or a desire to, to coach one session a week and then met a fellow by the name of Terry Worsfold who asked if I would take his son's team. I didn't really fancy doing that, but um, he's a persuasive man, is Terry. And after a while, I decided to to give it a bit of a go. So that was my Wednesday evening and Sunday. And I pretty much carried that the whole way through my career. Um, so I guess deep down, I thought it was something that I would perhaps want to do when I finished. And I suppose that was the decision to probably finish the career a bit earlier than anticipated in, in pursuit of becoming a, a coach. So luckily, but Leatherhead offered me a player manager role at the time. I sort of... Um, to make ends meet, I would work in a warehouse as well. So a lot of learning. And then in the evenings, I'd coach. I'd coach anyone that really wanted coaching, to be honest. And um, really grateful for the opportunity. Taught me loads. And then from there, Martin Ling asked if I'd become late Norwich youth team manager. Um, I was really lucky that Steve Perriman asked me to become first team manager at Exeter, which was a huge jump. And one that I probably wasn't ready for or, or I certainly hadn't deserved or earned. But Steve saw something in me and I, I guess I did well enough to have the opportunity to, to go in a couple of different directions. And in the end, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to go to Tottenham and work with some outstanding people there and did my, my six, seven years at, at Tottenham being the under-18s coach. And then that's led me to Liverpool. So 
that's me in a nutshell. Oh, awesome! You know, obviously, there's a there's, there's a hot, you know, a, a real lifespan in there in just in a couple of minutes. So, just you know, really kind of touch on some of the things you talked about there. For, you know, first of all, you know, got into got involved in coaching from an early age. You know, started mm-hmm. to spark curiosity. What was it about coaching in particular that you thought, yeah, actually, this this might be something I could really, I could really get to grips with, if you like? That's a really good question, and one I'm not sure I can answer. But I think it at that stage it probably gave me more than I gave it. So even if it's just taking your men, you know, your local mates team for a for a session and giving them, you know, it's quite easy back then. I used to think about the, the best session I'd had that week or the exercises that I'd enjoyed the most, and then just try and replicate it and and put it on for them. And then I suppose when you develop and evolve, you you actually start thinking about it a little bit more. And I think it, you realise that it gives you a buzz when you see someone improve or you think that you found the right words to help someone. And I think it gives you back as much as you give you know, that particular team, person, environment, then, you know, I've been very, very lucky to make a lot of my mistakes in the, you know, the shadow of darkness. I think it's harder now, perhaps, if you work in an academy from a younger age, because I'm not sure that the mistakes are perhaps as easily forgiven or, you know, or certainly that there might be a little bit more scrutiny around your coaching performance. I was really lucky. I was just left to it. And had a group of parents that trusted me, had a group of players that trusted me and, was very very fortunate to have been given the opportunity to work in that environment yeah yeah and i think that's really key i think it's something that you've touched on there well two things first of all you know just being left to it i, I guess there is obviously many benefits that you get to try out different things and you know just explore and you know as you said there though you need know, quite often not a lot of the things you're going to do are leaning on the things that maybe you did as a player or you'll put through as a player so i guess is a conversation I had with, uh, quite recently with quite a, quite a few young uh, young players who are maybe 15, 16, thinking about going down the coaching route. Did a taste, of, like, almost like a taster session for them around what coaching is, what it looks like, and what to kind of get out. And they were coming up with some really interesting questions in terms of, you know, what was what are the benefits of coaching? You know, what does a coach actually do? And you know, all these little bits. And it's quite interesting because. I, one of the things I said to them was, you know, actually I, I, I had similar questions and it wasn't until I actually started coaching that I realised even at, even at only 18, 19, when I did start coaching, it actually changed the way I looked at the game and actually played as a player. So I guess from that perspective, what are your thoughts in terms of maybe any guidance for some young coaches out there in terms of how important it is to maybe not just lean on the things that they've been doing as players, but actually start to think about things differently and challenge some of the the daily ongoings, if you like it, in terms of the in and out of how they might plan a session, put a session together, and yeah. not just literally copy and paste, if you like. No, I think it's a really it's a really interesting topic, and one ironically I was only speaking about earlier with um, with a member of staff, and I think that when you're a player or an ex player, the the lazy assumption is that what was good for me is perhaps going to be good enough for the people that I'm coaching. Whereas it probably took me a few years to sort of have a bit of an epiphany and realise that, oh, do you know what? I'm actually probably better off trying to be the coach I never had. Now, that might include some aspects of coaches I have worked with, but really, I think I've always tried to become the coach that I wish I'd had access to. And that's not being disrespectful to anyone I've worked alongside or with. It's not really meant to come across that way. What it does mean to come across that way is, is probably realising that I could be more. And if I took strands from different people that I've met, different coaches that I've worked with, um, then for sure that's going to be useful. But but ultimately, mine was, again, a bit of a light bulb moment that I only, you know, I'm not, I'm not a footballing snob. I haven't always worked at Tottenham and Liverpool. You know, my grounding was at Watford and Exeter and Lake Norrie and Leatherhead and, you know, Horsley, but, you know, these local teams. And it wasn't the football that necessarily I enjoyed watching on TV, but I'd never had access to that. I didn't have a coach, and I certainly didn't have a player. I wasn't good enough. Um, so I suppose at some point I had to make a decision that although I was at Exeter, I probably wasn't really enjoying watching my teams play football. You know, I might have been successful to a point, but didn't really enjoy watching them. So going to Tottenham was a bit like going to Harvard for me. I genuinely feel like I had a Harvard experience there. You know, I went there with a nice reputation coming from Exeter. Um, and I might have thought I was a little bit better than I was, but the truth is, as soon as I got through the door, I realised, you know what? <laughs> Martin Yole is better than me. Chris Hewton is better than me. Ricardo Moniz is better than me. Clive Allen is better than me. John McDermott is better than me. Uh, Chris Ramsey is better than me. 
you know, I, I knew where I was in the pecking order and I thought I was good, but you know what? They were all light years ahead. So I had to learn and learn and learn quickly. Yeah, you know, I think that's a great point to make there. You know, first of all, you know, there's that element of self-awareness, but actually sometimes it's it's like the age of saying you only know what you know. And without surrounding yourself by people and or necessarily being in an environment that allowed you to put, be around people that are maybe prodding and probing and challenging you on your day-to-day workings, you won't really understand that. But so there's a lot of coaches out there who actually they might be, if you like, the most experienced or the most uh competent individual as a coach in their environment so often they're they're the ones who are looked to as the point of guidance if you like yeah what what would your advice be to those coaches who are maybe stuck in those situations where potentially could be unaware of that of that even being a case or even furthermore is if they are aware actually you might need to just take a step back and understand that although you're probably the most experienced in the environment your experience is only limited to what you understand and perceive from it and you know, other, as you said there, going in a few years down your journey, that you, actually it took you a few years to realize that actually that <clears throat> session is for everyone. Yeah. The thing is, everything has to be a bit more tailored and bespoke for the people that's in front of you, essentially. Well, I think it's a place I've always tried to start at, is knowing that I don't know. Um, I'm always sort of like, always tried to surround myself with talent or have access to talent if I don't think I'm surrounded by it. But there's, there's people out there that know far more than I do. And if I take my career in stages of 10 years, what I thought I knew at 30 probably isn't still true today at 40. I've changed again. And what I thought I knew at 40 is now different. Now I'm, I'm 50. So, you know, I think that's important. I also think it's important that, you know, I'd love to come across as this, having this wonderful self-awareness and I arrived at Tottenham. But you know what? It's a painful experience because I probably was in denial for a part of that, you know, and you know, I probably tried to style it out like most people do. I probably tried to cover it up with a bit of cuff and bluff and, you know, thought I was a little bit better than I actually was. But deep down, when I put my head on the pillow at night, I knew, I knew, you know, I'm, it doesn't matter what happened from the nine to five or whenever you're in or from half eight in the morning till half eight at night. It, you know, when I put my head on the pillow in the evening, I knew where I really was in the pecking order. And I suppose all I hadn't worked out is what to do and, and how to do it and in the end I suppose embracing it was the best way um, realized I'm really lucky to work with like I say probably directly work with John McDermott who I think's you know probably the best I've come across best in the business when it comes to developing young adults um, Chris Ramsey outstanding um, and Ricardo Moniz was such an inspiration because he was the first coach I've met who could work with the under sevens in the morning and be genuinely authentic. And he could work with every age group going forward to the first team and be equally as good. So he could work right the way along the continuum. So I sort of decided in the end that I wouldn't mind doing that. You know, I wouldn't mind being someone that was credible and understood what it would need to be exactly that, credible across all the age groups. Um, But yeah, like I say, and then Tim Sherwood joined, Les Ferdinand joined, obviously the managers at the top joined, Harry Redknapp, Wanda Ramon, Wanda Ramos um, and then Andre Villaboas and so I was very lucky to be surrounded by an awful lot of impressive people um, both on and off the pitch. Obviously you know, something really key you touched on there is actually that self-awareness piece but you know really picking up on actually there's loads of different skills around me that I can pick up as well and you know, you're talking there about Ricardo and we're having been able to work across the spectrum and you know one of my questions to you was that how important is it for maybe coaches to think about whether they specialize or not? And it's a topic that I've been discussing with a few people recently, but is it, is it a choice that we make that we maybe specialize in area or is it a specialism that picks us, if that makes sense, based on how we are as individuals? I don't know if, if you get yeah. what I'm with it. No, I do. I get that. Um, I think some people's personalities are better suited to different age groups and maybe it takes a little bit of time or for someone to, suggest that they are outstanding in an age group i've got coaches who i think are genuinely just inspiring working with the really young ones now i can do it but nowhere near as well as they can do it they're, they're, the whole personality and demeanor the whole way they've set themselves up as a person is just so in tune with that particular age group but i think they'd be crazy to move into a different age group because i don't think they'd have quite the same effect so i suppose there's a bit around your personality and where it fits um I then think it's around possibly opportunity and 
you know, maybe may sort of what access you have to different age groups at different stages. Mine probably was the senior age group. Then if I had a specialty now, if I had to major in something, I'd, I'd probably want to lecture in somewhere between 23 or senior 23 and, and 16. I see that age group as really interesting and one that I probably connect with the best at the minute. Um, I'm trying really hard to learn around 15, 14, 13, 12. You know, I've got a, a son who plays football who's 13 at the minute, so I think I'm getting a first-hand experience around what that actually looks like. But it's tough because you've got they're the foggy years, right? Because you lose the players with you know growth and maturation, and you know they suddenly start developing a teenage brain, and they start you know that's wide completely different. So I think um, yeah, I think you can specialise like, or, or what you think you perhaps want to do isn't necessarily what you end up wanting to do. I, I was very fortunate to be offered an opportunity of working at first team level at Liverpool. And do you know what? I was doing the academy manager's role and in the end I thought, do you know what? I'm really enjoying this. I don't want to change. I've just, you know, working with some fantastic people and what I thought I'd working all my life towards when it came actually, I wanted something else. And I think, you know, you, you have to, and I, and I think it's where I'm, probably able to offer most value to the club. I think I can offer most value in the role that I'm in. It doesn't mean to say that if you're out of work tomorrow that maybe that doesn't change or, you know, who knows next year, maybe have a slightly different take on things. But for the minute, I think I'm offering, you know, the best of me in the role that I'm in. And no one ever grows up wanting to be an academy manager. That's a fact. You know, right? that, that job finds you. You do not go looking for it. It finds you. You know, I think yeah. it's... Um, yeah, it's strange in that one. So let's just talk about them because you know I think it's really important to understand, or for everyone to understand that you know what the role of an academy manager actually is because you know especially with the way things are now in you know the more recent years you've had so many different roles come out whether that be heads of coaching, heads of development, head of player development, head of coach development, and all the you know now academy managers, academy directors, you know. It's people you know often don't understand that actually every role, although it's got this title, that actually the way in which it operates is can be, can be different from environment to environment, and in a, in a, for, for good reason in some in some cases. So maybe just share a bit of insight around what your role looks like and what you see as your overarching thing. Obviously, you know how how much of that time is spent on the grass. I know that obviously from the conversations we've had, you do spend quite a bit of time on the grass trying to get across the age groups, as, you, as you've mentioned already. But maybe just give a bit more insight around that. Yeah, no, you're right. I think. I suppose the academy manager's role can really take on whatever it is that, that you want. I guess you could be a recruiter. You could be someone that's got a fantastic eye for, for recruitment and maybe your um, ethos is, is sort of steeped in scouting. It, you, you could be a strategist. You could be from business. So maybe you're, you're someone that's a really fantastic organiser of people, great sort of like uh, talent ID, headhunting in terms of staffing, and, and maybe that's the way that you would run things. My particular background, of course, is in coaching. So therefore, I come at it from a coaching aspect. I come at it from a player development point of view. Uh, I don't have to work on the grass, I guess, but I choose to because that's why, I suppose that's my way of connecting with, with players. And I think that if you want to have an impact on them further down the line or at any point when they're making tough decisions or you want to help them make tough decisions, my way of forging that connection is on is through, is through being credible, hopefully, on the grass and developing that relationship and that trust in that way. I don't know of another way. I'm not talented enough to be able to do it anyway. I'll do it, but, you know, I'll put the boots on and, and, I, and I try and help in any way that I can when they're, when they're on the pitches. That's my way of, of becoming credible with players and staff. So that's my interpretation of the role. Um, and, of course, across that, I'm very well supported. You know, I have to have an interest in the business side, the recruitment side. I have to have a business in, you know, our holistic care and, and, and how we would want to support education, how we would want to support the player through the, 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 the transition through being in the academy. But ultimately, I have people that are in charge of that who are really good. You know, my job is to make sure that I support and make sure that um, those departments run in, in line with the ethos that we believe in at Liverpool. So just on that, what you know, what is that ethos in terms of an academy philosophy? Is you know, how would you define that? And you know, just how important you know, maybe share your insights on just how important it is whether that be for other other clubs in the in the professional game, whether academies or 
even from a grassroots perspective, how important it is to maybe have that ethos and philosophy in place? Well, everyone's got it. <laughs> it's the most overused word in football, I think, is philosophy. Everyone's got a philosophy. It's whether you can live it, which I think is the key. Everyone's got one written down on a bit of paper because I think you've got to have that now. Do you know what? I think that's such a, such a great point because it, it, it's literally the conversation I've been having with, with people recently that you know, everyone talks about this, this, this philosophy. Um, but a lot of people that, I don't actually think enough people have it written down. And what I, again, if I'm reading into what you said there, really the philosophy is not actually what you've got written down, but it's actually your, the, the behaviours that you're actually living out. Yeah, so I think culture is more important than philosophy. I think you can have a philosophy around how you want to play, so is it, you know, whatever strategy, whatever that looks like, you can have a, you know, you can have a, the X's and the O's on the board, you can have how you want to develop players, you can have all of these things. And really, I suppose it's about setting standards day in, day out and, you know, and living it a little bit and making sure that staff live it, uh, trying to make sure that how you communicate that to staff is really important. Uh, but I think culture probably, I think is, is more important to talk about how you develop a culture than how you, you know, whether, whether you can, I suppose, whether you can um, communicate your philosophy and get people to live it is one thing, but... I think it's about what you do every single day. It's when you go through the doors that is everybody trying to achieve the same thing. And more importantly, does everyone want to be there? Players and the staff, are they enjoying it? Is it something that they're still, you know, is it a passion for them? Is it something that they want to get out of bed each day? And, and do they look to work and see it as work? Or I've got to be honest, it's easy. I don't see it as a job. I don't see it as work. I see it as something which, I, you know, for me, it's a passion. It's it's someone's crazy enough to give me money to, to sort of like <laughs> what I would want to do anyway if I wasn't getting paid for it. You know, I, I, I genuinely enjoy uh, getting out of bed in the morning and seeing the staff and seeing the players and, and thinking about how their day can become meaningful. And I know it sounds a bit cliched and a bit, you know, a bit woolly perhaps, but it's true. I, I genuinely do. I want, I want them to have an amazing experience every time they come through the doors. So just you know, just on that then, coming back to the, the the idea about the philosophy, what what are the the values and the principles that you kind of really try and embed within the academy there, and and how does that transition into maybe some of your experiences, or in terms of what you've learned about how to maybe implement those and lead them lead people with those uh, values and beliefs? Yeah, I think one of the one of the fundamentals for me is engage, challenge, support. So we probably live by that a little bit. So what does that mean? It means that you have to earn the right to, to give feedback. You have to earn the right to critique, um, whether that's me critiquing a member of staff or whether it's me critiquing a player or someone has the right to critique me, then I think you've got to engage first. So what does engagement mean? Establishing rapport. You've got to genuinely find out what makes that player tip. I don't think I can just go out and... I've just come back from taking the under 15s tonight. I don't think I can offer them feedback, whether that's positive or negative, unless I, I know the person I'm giving that feedback to and have taken time to get to know the person that I'm giving that feedback to. I think you need credit in the in the bank, if you like, with that particular person. And I think once you've then engaged, I think you, you probably earn the right to challenge. And once you challenge, you're obligated to support. So anyone can just challenge. Anyone can say, oh, this has got to be better. I think you should do that. Or I like that and keep doing that. It's, it's what does support like, you know, look like after that? And again, that's going to be individualised. Everyone's going to want different support. Everyone's going to want to be challenged in a different way. But I think, you, have, you know, sitting at the front end of that, you've got to, you've got to earn the right in the first instance to, to do that. Any walk of life, really. But the chat, anyway, I've seen loads of coaches go in and just challenge players and do this, do that, do everything else. We're thinking, well, do you know what? If you came on, or if someone who I didn't know came and watched me coach tomorrow and wanted to give me feedback, I'd probably take it because I'm quite polite like that. I'd listen. And, but it's nowhere near as impactful if someone gets to know you first, gets to know why you've done something, what drives you, and then they offer you some sort of feedback. I think you, you know, human nature, you're probably you're more willing to accept it. And I think you're spot on because obviously, you know, it comes back to that old saying, you know, people really care what you know when they know how much you care, right? Yeah. Um, you know, within that, then, you know, I, I guess I'm really interested to know then, you know, who the, who the people that maybe you've built relationships over the years and that you found have been quite influential on your own journey. You know, what, what may be some of the biggest lessons you've picked up from them? Because you've mentioned some really great names, uh, you know, throughout the conversation already. But, you know, is there any 
the standout ones that really you can think back actually do you know what that actually changed the whole landscape on what i do and how i do it and it's probably yeah. loads of pivotal moments because you talked earlier about you know the person you were at 30 is not the person you were at 40 and you know you don't look a day over 40 but it's really kind of you thank you it's <laughs> kind lighting on <laughs> mood lighting in the room it's just yeah just you know on that then you know what who, who would you say some of the major influences have been in your journey and what were some of the biggest kind of real key lessons and you know i think really if we're looking deeper around what you're saying it's not necessarily about the x's and o's it could have been something that was not related to the stuff on the pitch if you like yeah that had a massive impact on you i think if there's any younger coaches out here looking back i would suggest that my interviews for jobs never happened I, I might have had an interview, but it was a it, it, probably by that stage a decision that we made. My interview ha happened years before. So let me give you some examples. So I think my interview for Exeter, which is a bit left field if you think about Steve Perriman offering me the job from Lake Norrie's youth team coach, I definitely wasn't. God, I wasn't top of anybody's list. Um, but I guess Steve saw something of something in me when I was first at a player as Watford. He didn't see enough of me to play me, by the way, because he was manager. So he's probably a good judge of player, but he saw something in me as a character that we sort of half kept in touch. And then he went to Japan and then, you know, he came back to Exeter for a year. I changed the way I played a little bit and we spoke a bit more about football and we, we kept in touch. Um, but I guess my interview happened years before I got offered the job. And it was the same at Tottenham, really, because I'd, gone to Lake Norian and I'd, um, I remember phoning up John who was with the FA one day saying, look, I think I'm getting bored of the sessions. God knows what the players are. Would you like to come in and take the under 18s and just, you know, give me something new and give the players a new experience. And he was really generous with his time, came in, sat about, you know, spoke about the session afterwards. He was fantastic. And I guess that, again, we sort of, that was probably a part of my interview, I would have thought when I got offered the Tottenham job. Um, and then, you know, when I was at Tottenham, we, I'd occasionally meet up with Brendan Rogers, who was the Chelsea youth team coach, and we'd talk about football. And then he went to Swansea, and we'd meet up occasionally and we'd discuss sessions and all the rest around it. Um, so when an opening became available as the reserve team manager, I guess I was on his mind. And again, I think the interview probably took place over many conversations over many years prior to that. But the actual, when you sit down and have a, a more formal interview, I, you know, I think that's probably got less significant than the, than the years previous. I guess what I'm trying to say is that, you know, it's often the people that you meet along the way and the people that I've been privileged to meet, I've just mentioned three or four there, who have been pivotal in my career. Um, and I could mention ones that I work with now who I think are outstanding, you know, Nick Marshall and Martin Diggle and, you know, Michael Edwards was at the club and Julian Ward and Jürgen Klopp and Steve Highway has been amazing for me and, you know, so gracious of his time and all the rest of it. But you, I suppose you never quite know. I don't think you do it. I never, ever wanted to be in Brendan's company thinking there was a job at the end of it because it was just marvelous, you know, it wasn't even in my thinking. And I certainly didn't ask John McDermott to come in and help the under-18s at Orient thinking he was one day going to be good enough to be a, at Tottenham and take me there. It was just something that I genuinely wanted to be around talented people and I wanted them to show me better things. So, you know, whether that has been Steve Perriman or John McDermott or um, Brendan Rogers or whoever, you know, I, I think that would be my message to the younger coaches, which is, you know, that's, that's been my learning that you never quite, I think, I'm not sure your interview happens when you sat in a suit and a chair and you sat opposite them. I think it happens prior. I think you make a great point there because, you know, the, I think, you know, they often use a phrase within football, but I think it's any industry really, you know, it's, it's the network that you have, that, you know, that is, the, that is, that proves your worth, I guess, really, and the relationships you build along the way because I think this, as time goes on, and you mentioned it earlier about young coaches working in academies as well, you know, the qualifications people are always people are now getting them, you know, probably faster than they were before. Earlier they weren't than they were before. Younger than they were before. But actually, what really kind of puts people in the position to kind of maneuver themselves around and project and propel them within their careers is there is those relationships that you talked about, and actually just rubbing shoulders with people that are maybe like-minded and you know 
there's no doubt that along the time along that time frame where you've had those relationships with you know, the likes of John McDermott and Brendan Rodgers that actually they've probably seen some alignment in the way that you think and you work and and, and marry yeah. <laughs> well. I think it's really important for me to say it's not networking because I'm officially the worst networker in the world you know I have no social media sort of like visibility I'm officially useless because when I'm involved in something I get so entrenched in it and so consumed by the job you know, I don't, I don't look to the left or right of me. It's, it's, I think it's a slightly different, I don't know what the term is, but it wouldn't be networking. It would be, I don't know, maybe it's just sort of like forging meaningful relationships with people who genuinely yeah. want to, you know, and without any, there was never a thought in my mind that this would lead to something else. That, yeah, was, I, I guess, I guess, you know, it's, it's networking in terms of, it is what it is, but more, more specifically, I, th- I think really what you're getting at is that wasn't your intended outcome there it was just i'm just trying to get better and these are the people that happen to be around me to make me make me that i feel that i'm going to help me get better and we, which i think is you know it's a great way to look at it as well and it's definitely something that you know i've learned to do over the last few years where it's actually just just focus on yourself just focus on what you're going to do every day to make yourself better whether it's on this part of your craft or that part of your craft or it, it might not even be related to your job whatever it is that you're working on and i think you know just it's just having that self-awareness. If you come back to what you said earlier about, you know, you always want to find out what you don't know. And you can only do that by getting the perspectives of people that are around you, maybe people that aren't potentially new to you, because obviously they're going to see things with a fresh eye and things like that. So I guess, you know, just in terms of that coaching philosophy, which might have been aligned with those guys there, maybe just describe to us a little bit what about a bit more about your coaching philosophy and, you know, where that kind of came from, because you obviously talked about coming into coaching at a young age, at least being intrigued by it anyway. Um, how have you seen a transition from maybe what coaching was like for you back then to where it is now? Because obviously there's been, you know, a, a substantial period of time and obviously there's probably loads of different learnings and things that have reshaped and changed the way that you're currently thinking and currently implementing within your coaching philosophy now. And obviously you've just talked about coming off the pitch with the under-15s. Yeah. So, uh, and I think that just speaks volumes. You know, for an academy manager, typically they don't really work with the players as often as maybe they they, they probably would or maybe would like to. Um, especially not when it comes to the younger age groups. Typically, if you see an academy manager is working with players, it typically tends to be the players in the professional development phase. Yeah, um, I quite enjoy it. Unless I go wherever I wanted, so I've got to be very careful to give the the coaches enough oxygen. I also appreciate that when I'm there. It's like the headmaster coming in, isn't it? Right. I think the teachers, you know, I think they're 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 hyper aware as, as well as the pupils. So I have to be careful. But if I, I also think that through proximity, it can become normalised a little bit, and I hate for them to see it as, you know, some sort of like um, authoritarian figure coming in descending upon them. I'd like it to be seen as just another coach. So I try hard to make that happen. But in terms of a philosophy, I think Don Howe once spoke about. You know, it's a privilege to work with within football because, I mean, it is getting better year on year. The players are getting, are improving. Um, and you've got to keep up to pace. You, you've, got to, you've got to keep pace with it all because it, it is evolving and it's a game that's constantly throws up new situations, new solutions. Um, so I think there's a part of me which, you know, I don't really want to be a dinosaur just yet. Like that time will surely come. But so I've got to work hard to keep up with what the game is is suggesting needs to happen. But I think this is where probably the first part of my coaching career, I think that you, you know, I think I probably learned my values and some things will never leave me from having coached Horsley Boy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply or Leatherhead or Book and Colts or um, Lake Norrin or Exeter. I think that that's, you know, I think Watford as a player, I think, you know, I was very lucky to work in, you know, probably still just a part of the Graham, uh, Graham Taylor era. And I think that gives you so much when you're working at that level because it is all about hard work and it is all about 
pushing your physical thresholds. And it is all about not giving up and sometimes being the underdog. Um, and I think it gives you such tremendous values because you can't lose that in football. That's always going to be there. You are always going to have to really work hard. You are going to have to sort of like sometimes be in situations where you've not got the ball as much. And, you know, and I think that, so I think my coaching philosophy, that, that, that would certainly be, play a part of it. But of course, you know, if, you know, I want the ball, I'd, I'd like to own the ball and own the pitch. It's not possible in every single game you play because sometimes other teams are better at doing that than, than you are. So you then have to make sure that you can find a different way to win. But I'm not wedded to a particular shape. Um, I'm not wedded to a particular set of movement patterns. What I am wedded to is, is a style of play, which I think you should aspire to play in. Um, and I'm probably also, I'm, I'm, it's ingrained in me that academy football, whilst the team is the vehicle for the individual to travel through, I think the individual who is able to play at a Champions League level or a Premier League level, I think at some point the sessions have got to become about them, not about who you're playing at the weekend. I, I think that's a great point. It's actually one of the things I really wanted to kind of discuss with you. Obviously, you know, you're working for Liverpool, you know, one of the biggest clubs in the world, uh, recently European champions, recently, you know, uh, won loads of different trophies. And when you're at that level, the reality is it's probably going to be a lot of money thrown at some of the top talent to come in. So how, just, just, you know, just how do you then plan and prepare to try and get players to actually become ready to become you know, not just a Premier League player, because it's not as simple as just making a Premier League, but a Premier League player of the, of the topest, the top level, highest quality, but also ready to now go and play in the Champions League as well. You know, what what what, what are some of the things and considerations that you have to make to try and prepare a programme for that? Because it would be very different, you know, if, you know, with all due respect, if you were now sitting here as an academy manager at Exeter, as an example, the landscape would be completely different. So what are some of the things that you maybe might be doing differently if there is anything that you're even doing differently, because at the, at the end of the day, it's still player development that we're looking at. And we want to try to produce the best players that we can, regardless of the environment we're in. But what are some of the real challenges and constraints you may have when you, in, in regards to that? Yeah, well, Exeter have got a fantastic record of producing Premier League and Champions League players. So, you know, I'm not sure it's that different, but I get you, I take, I certainly take your point. I think that, you know, both at Tottenham and at Liverpool, I would describe us as silver medalists. So probably more than enough money to do it correctly. But I think the first team's a really good model. I, lo I love our first team. I love the way they play, love the way they, they manage, coach. Um, but more importantly, I love the way the club is run. So I think we're a silver medalist club in as much as, you know, if you look at our first team, I think pretty much they are a bunch of silver medalists. So you've got from goalkeeper through to centre forward at some point, they've all got a really interesting backstory around who didn't want them as much as who did want them. I don't think many of them were sort of like child protégés or um, whilst we've spent really healthily on players, I think the story of a Jordan Henderson or Andy Robertson or, you know, Mo Salah, everyone thinks Mo Salah now the, the player he is, but, you know, you've got to, Realise it, it wasn't. It didn't always go well for him at, at different clubs. He's been at. He's had to do it the hard way. You know, he's certainly taken the stairs rather than the elevator, hasn't he? So, you know, and I think that's with a lot of our our players. I think that's that probably exists throughout the club. That same with um, same with the academy. I, I don't think we, you know, we, we we don't go out and hoover up the best talent in Europe. We have to see value where no one else sees it because we have to be smarter or try and be as smart smarter than anyone else. I think our first team do that, and I think. In the end, what you have with a, a group of silver medalists is they think they actually strive and become gold. <laughs> they do become the gold medalist in the end. Um, I think it's the same way with the academy. You know, we, we of course we'll we'll try and compete and do the best we can. But if you think about um, the players that we have managed to do well with, you know, they're often the ones that we've seen real value in. You know, within either within the academy or you know, the, the, the ones that have, you know, someone else might have missed. Um, I think it was the same at Tottenham. You know, if I look at my youth team there, or what, a collection of my youth teams, the players that came through were often the ones that had, you know, Harry Kane is the obvious one, I guess, in terms of 
you know, face rejection fairly early, not obvious, middle of the pack at 14, um, on the radar at 16, and had some difficult years between 17 and, and 20 in, you know, amassing a few games outside of the, you know, the, the Premier League before coming through. And I think that's the same with an awful lot of the players I've worked with. They've done it the hard way. Um, I've probably actually never worked with a, with a gold medalist, someone that's been that outrageously good. I know speaking to Steve Highway, you'd have worked with Michael Owen or someone that was that obvious that he's going to be a top player. You know, my path hasn't crossed with one of those yet. I've been very fortunate to have worked with an awful lot of slow burners that have needed help and needed something extra given to them, or they've had to show a little bit more resilience than most. Um, everyone thinks that Trent's had a really easy run in, but he, he didn't. You know, he's, he's, he's put the hard yards in. He's had to do his fair share of being patient. He's had his fair share of games where it definitely hasn't gone his way. And he's had some, some fairly, you know, as a, as a youth team player, some fairly um, public ones of those where it hasn't gone his way. And he's had to find a different level, you know, at each stage. So I think it's, you know, for me in terms of our academy and, and, and as a club, you know, it's clear from my accent, I'm not a, I'm not a born and bred scouser. But I've come to, you know, really, really admire, not only enjoy working for the club, but I've come to admire the club and I've come to admire the city and the people. You know, the, you know, I think it's, it's a city and, and a club which is based on proving people wrong, you know, and, and, and not necessarily doing things the easy way. I don't think we are going to sign an Mbappe anytime soon. I don't think that, you know, we'll probably mention in the same breath as Haaland arriving. You know, that's not how we're wired. We, we, we have to win things and do it in a way which would probably surprise people. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. it it's definitely credit to obviously the players that have come through this team. We talked there about Trent, talked about like that, and Robinson. Um, just on that, then, would you say there is a greater pressure maybe for some of the younger players um, once they get to that 18s to try and break through? Because obviously, there is probably you know an established, probably international in the position that they're trying to break into, but. Or do you think it actually affords them a bit more time and takes the pressure off because they've actually now got maybe probably the, the, the full depth of the, what, the, what the academy system offers, which, you know, up to the 23s and really gives them that time to develop, gives them that time to get, you know, bedded into the team and whatnot and have, a, have enough exposure to the environment that actually takes some of that pressure off, if, that, if you like. Um, I suppose that's going to depend on the individual. Mm. Some are going to relish the opportunity to go in and upset the natural order and they're going to want to sort of go in and make a mark against someone that, that feels fairly well established. Others will just need more time. Um, I'm not sure. I think it, it would really depend on which individual you spoke to and what age you spoke to them at. I think the, nor the normal way of things is that when they come into the building as an under-18, they're full of still that wonderful sort of like expectancy and hope and they, they think they're close now and that's it, that Jürgen's going to watch them play once and they're going to be in the first team, which I think is a wonderful innocence to have. And, you know, you soon realise that they establish, you know, that they, they, their thinking changes a bit. It's going to be a little bit harder than they first thought. Um, they're a little bit further away than perhaps they, they had originally thought. And they realise exactly how good the players are who are playing every single week and how relentlessly consistent they are. And I think, you know, that once they get in around and immersed in that environment, a nice sort of reality kicks in. And I think at that point, they start establishing how they're going to get there, you know, whether it's Curtis or, or, or Kavine in goal, or whether it's Trent, or whether it's the ones who don't quite make it, but are then sold on, you know, your Harry Wilson's and your Ryan Kent's, or, um, you know, I think that the, the challenge of the bar being so high finds you out. I think it's I think it's amazing, and just because you don't quite meet that that challenge on the first occasion doesn't mean to say that you can't go away and get your experiences somewhere else and then come back and do it a second time. That that you know that can happen. Yeah, that's that's possible. Hundred percent. And yeah, so sp speaking of challenges, then Alex, you know, you you have had quite a wide ranging experiences both now as an academy, academy director 
working as a coach as well and in a various different environments over the years. I'm interested to know maybe what would you say some of the biggest challenges are that you've faced and how, how do you, you know, maybe go into a bit of detail around how you've maybe overcome that? Or it might even be something you're facing right now and yeah. what your plans are to overcome it. I think the biggest challenge is probably understanding the, having or, or embracing the responsibility that there, you have to accept there's a lot of boys that probably won't play professional football that, you know, that are part of your program. And that's just every academy manager or every academy director, whatever title you've got, that's going to be the same. So I suppose the biggest challenge is making sure that that experience they have with us is meaningful and it adds something to their life. And I think at the heart of that now is transparency in terms of making sure that when, I think onboarding at, at an under eight, has got to be really cleverly done and really um, purposely done, purposely done, so that parents understand. Yes, of course, there's a there. Of course, there's a dream at the end of it to be, um, you know, playing at Anfield week in week out. But you know what? Until fourteen, just see us as the best boys club ever. We've got great pitches, really good coaches. The referees and linesmen are great. The the you know the staff are all good. It's a really nice environment environment on the sidelines. See it as the best Sunday league club you possibly can. And then maybe at 14, 15, they're knocking your door and say, look, this might be a little bit more than a hobby. This, this could end up as a, as a job. And if it ends up as a job, then I've got to make sure that the challenge we have is that the boys that perhaps don't end up as professional footballers or do end up as professional footballers, what's our responsibility, uh, responsibility like for them? And I think that's really important. And you know, we've got an alumni program now, which I'm really proud of, probably more proud of that than anything else in terms of our commitment to a player from now, you know, forever, you know. So that's not just a sort of like a, a short period of time. That, that's going to be us saying that the moment you sign as a scholar for us, we're going to track you for the rest of your life to make sure that you're all right. Because there's one thing to sing you never walk alone, but it's a lot harder to live. So, to, you know, because, and why, and why is that? Because... You know, when a boy signs a professional contract, arguably one of the greatest days in his life, but some of those boys may never kick a ball in professional football and some of them may fall out the pyramid at 22, 23, 24, 25. They're the ones I really worry about because they will need a bit of direction because mid-20s and trying to pick up a second career is difficult. So I think that we owe it to them to offer them and afford them some, you know, some support. There's some fantastic organizations out there but you know the failing in some of them is that you have to contact them this is different we will contact you and just check in and make sure that you're all right and if you need guidance and if you need help we try and become the best signpost that you can possibly be you know whatever that next stage of your career looks like and it's going to and everyone's going to need it at some point Trent's going to have to hang his boots up please to god let it be to his you know Ancient, and he's going to have to decide what he wants to get him out of bed. We know what's going to get him out of the door. Does he want? Is it? Is it philanthropy? Is it? He wants to coach. Does he want to manage? Does he want to just go on a golf course? He's going to have some decisions to make, and and there will need to be some sort of support for him, as much as there will be the boy who signs a scholar and decides that you know, or maybe football decides it's not quite for him. So you know, in terms of a challenge, I would say that's probably the biggest challenge. That's that's that's, that's my biggest challenge. Definitely. And you just on that, you know, just very briefly, you touched on the idea of how maybe a parent should approach the, 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 you know, the, I guess the induction into an academy and that process in as a whole. And it's something that I've often uh, said with a lot of players that I've come across, you know, I, for me personally, I don't think you should really worry about what you're doing, whether you're in an academy or not, until you're about 14, 15, maybe 16. Because, you know, prior to that, it is, in my opinion, sometimes just about catching the best, best fish in the local area. And not necessarily ones that are actually going to go on and make a career. Yes, ideally you want all of them to go through, but we all know that they're not, that's not going to happen. Whereas if a club's you know more likely picking you up at 14, 15, 16, or you're, or you're still in the system at that point, yeah. you probably have a more realistic chance of actually, like you said, turning this into a bit more than just a you know an intense hobby, if you like. Yeah. It's like you know, and I think this is something that would be relevant to. Uh, those working in the academies as well as those working in grassroots football, what would you know what what would be some of the advice around maybe how they actually manage the expectations or work with the parents or the supporting network to kind of really understand that message? 
because that, that, that is probably one of the biggest challenges. And I often say that for me, I've never actually met a parent that's ill-intended. They've got the best of intentions. They're actually probably your, they're probably your biggest tool for support in terms of getting those young players to where you need them to be. But often there seems to be this disconnect between that relationship of where the parent sits and where the coach sits. And sometimes even where the coach sits to where the club sits on the matter. So what would your advice be to coaches in, the, in that position, how to support parents or better yet, get more of a buy-in from the supporting network, if you like? Yeah, I'm not sure what the answer is. I can, I think, um, I think that there used to be sort of like, it was quite clear it was player, parent, coach. And I think perhaps that space now, there's, there's more people in that space than there's ever been before. Perhaps there's representatives, perhaps there's personal coaches, perhaps there's, you know, even punditry now, you know, so everyone's a pundit, right? So you can turn on any station or radio or social media, and you can always get an opinion on what, what's happening in the game. So everyone's a pundit, um, which is good in a way because everyone's talking about the game, but it's also dangerous because there's a lot of opinions out there. So I think that's harder for a child now. Um, so in the first instance, you'd say, well, I guess there's got to be an element of trust. You're passing your, your child over to a coach or to an organisation and there's an element of trust. Um, you know, I remember my daughter, when she was really young, she was a, she was a really good gymnast. But it was made quite clear from the outset. <laughs> you, know, you, you stand well back. There's no sort of, you know, it's, it's a sport which I suppose you just watch and, you know, and you, and you leave them to it. Um, but I think football sort of like creates a different set of emotions perhaps um, but I think that with the with the coaches I think one of the things is trying to help parents celebrate exactly uh, how well the child is doing how special what they're trying to do is so I think that you know, if you break it down there's two and a half million people playing football from nine to 15 on any given Sunday so if you're in an academy you're you know certainly if you you're one of two and a half thousand out of that two and a half million. And if you're at Cat One Academy in your age group, you're one of 500. And if you're then one of that players playing in a Cat One Academy, playing in that position, you're one of 50. So you think, wow, what an amazing thing to, to have achieved, even if it doesn't go any further than tomorrow. To have said that you are in that percentage of players every single week, what an incredible achievement. So I think sometimes we look too far in the future and we think it's a failure if they haven't set further Anfield or Goodison Park or Yetihad or Old Trafford. Actually, it's not. Forget that. That's like fairy tale stuff. That's like that. That will happen to the one or the two. But what an incredible experience for a young child to be in an academy system where they can say they are really part of an elite set of people trying to do the same thing. And all right, if it doesn't work out, no problem. But what a thing to tell your own children, your own grandchildren, that you were that special at doing something that you really love doing at such a young age that you think, well, I think we need to make a little bit more of that. I think we should celebrate that um, rather than frame everything around the 0.001% that will progress through and play in someone's first team, you know, play Champions League football. I, I'm not sure that's the goal. The goal should be far more achievable, which is you're actually, what, what you are doing is already incredible. Um, and, and it's enough. If it ends tomorrow, it, it might not be enough now. And of course it's going to hurt. I'm a realist. I know it's going to sting. And it will, but really, if you actually assess what it is you have achieved, wow, well, you know, congratulations. You know, now, now go and do the, you know, whatever the next bit of your life looks like, now go and attack that with the same sort of values that you've attacked this. And I think you'll be all right providing you don't view it as some catastrophic failure because you've not ended up playing the highest in the highest part of the game that, you know, it's, it's not saying it's, someone's got to do it, but it might not be you. And I, and I think that's a great way to look at, you know, just really, you know, the, the real thing that kind of jumps out at me, there is just, I think everyone just practicing a little bit more gratitude, appreciating the small, the small wins rather than focusing on the bigger picture all the time. And I think that is a great way to not just, as a young player, but I think just in life in general, I think it's a great way to kind of look at things. So I guess, you know, just on that, you know, we talk about some, you know, turning that experience into a bit more of a positive. Um, throughout all our journeys as coaches, you know, we've all got things that kind of, we look at and think, what the hell is going on over there? Why is that happening? And, you know, 
so just interested to know maybe you know through all your experiences now working as an academy manager at Liverpool and prior to that all the other experiences you've had you know what are some of the bugbears that you you have when it comes to coaching you know do you ever see something think, oh, I can't believe that's happening oh wow you really caught me with that one um I don't have any bugbears because I probably I think you said before you everybody comes at this with a really good intention so if I see <laughs> if I speak with a parent and I think they've got the wrong coming out from the wrong place it's only because they love their child it's only because it comes from a really good place in the first instance just because I don't agree with the point of view doesn't mean that they're wrong in their intention um, if I see a session that I'm not you know blown away with well no one goes to put on a session that no one else likes or you know it is what it is oh goodness me I've done more than enough of those myself um so I think a lot of it is I'm not chilled in as much as I, I don't see these things but I, have, I do try very hard to remember that it probably comes from a place of good intention in the first place it's a bit like when you coach a player isn't it not many players will go out to have an absolute you know, disaster of a session or missed chances or let goals in or whatever it's going to be, misplaced passes. No one sets out to play the game to make mistakes. But it is a game of mistakes. So therefore, you have to accept a certain amount of it. You might strive for perfection, whatever you think that might look like. But it is that, you know, part of the reason why we all enjoy it is because it is a game of mistakes. And if it's a game of mistakes, it has to be a game of reactions. That's that much is obvious. You're never going to get like I say, you might strive for the, you know, the perfect performance or perfection, but you know that's why I think we all enjoy it. It, it is at times it's it, you're watching chaos. You're, you are watching, you know, a sport where everyone wants the the round thing in the middle, and you know, any given time, only one team can have it. And yeah, I think that's part of the allure is that it's not predictable that you know, teams can win when the odds are against them, that players can prove you wrong and do things which you didn't think were possible. You know, I think that's part of the attraction and part of the reason why I fell in love with the sport is because it gives you all those things. It can give you all those emotions. And so, yeah, I, I try. I, I, there's nothing that's, that I can think of. Maybe I'll finish the conversation and then suddenly something will hit me. I really hate that. But nope. Nothing. I think, again, it just speaks volumes to maybe how, how you guys how you just maybe look at the game or look at look at look at the environment as a whole in it and understand that actually you're more concerned about right what was the intention here rather than what was what was the action or the response to the to, to the situation and I think again it, it kind of just I guess the word that really jumps out at me is there it's, it's empathy you know connecting connecting with the person on the other end of the on the other what, end what is it for you if I, the, if I was to throw the question back at you what is it for you that um, I think for me, it's maybe coaches not taking enough care to understand or really understand why they're doing what they do. Um, so, you know, if you do want to, you know, have a look at Alex Inglethorpe's session and then go and deliver that with your players, fine, to go for it. But try and understand the mechanics of why Alex did what he did. Why did Alex do what you did, and, and how and how does that then marry up with what your players or your or your, your you know your whether that be females, males, whatever that your players might need, you know, and that's not just that's not just in football really. It's just in in general, like, you know, why are you doing what you're doing? And I think for me, that's probably a little bit. Oh, I don't even know if bugbear is the right word, but it's just it just makes me think. Hmm, come on, we could be better here. Let's let's try and understand it because if we can understand it, then we can we can know where. We might be able to further develop it. Let's just become better. Um, so I think that's pro that's probably what it would be for me more than anything else. And again, I, I, I totally agree with you. you. Know, it's not to say that you're going to go out there and think oh, I'm going to put on the worst session I can today because that's not the intention. But if you don't know the workings of it, you know, it's like it's like doing a maths a maths equation. You know, you don't get marked on your answer. You get marked on the working out. Yeah. Show the working out, and if you can show the working out, then you should go to easily if it's right or wrong you should be able to work out where it actually went right or wrong do you know what i mean yeah um, that's kind of the way i look at it so i think it, that's probably the one thing i'd really encourage coaches to really think about is every little bit i'm doing whether it's the practice whether it's the way i'm interacting whether it's 
the warm-up or whatever aspect of it is, the way I'm talking to the parents or what I'm even saying to the players and the parents, why am I saying that? What am I, inte- what am I hoping to get out of it? So just being a bit more conscious and self-aware really more than um, But, you know, I think you kind of answered this a little bit earlier in, in not so much the same way, but you kind of rephrased it for younger coaches to kind of think about. But I'm interested about now your own journey. If you now sitting here as this, uh, you know, not a day over 40, Alex Inglethorpe, um, had a chance to go back and speak to yourself when you first set out on this journey of coaching. Um, and maybe even, because obviously you initially dabbled in a little bit as a player, and obviously that became a full-time thing. So maybe at those two points different, uh, separately, what would be one of the key messages you'd like to give yourself, knowing what you know now, that you might give yourself at maybe 18, and then again, maybe after you've hung your boots off as a player? Well, um, well, good question. I think I think when I was transitioning, I'd, I'd probably go back and just I'd, I'd probably give the 29, 30-year-old version of me just a sort of like uh, I'd have a quiet word and just say it'll be all right. Because I, that it, it was tough. I mean, it, it, I can romanticise it if you want, but, you know, I was very kind to, to be given a job in a warehouse and I was earning like 50 quid a week at their head and, you know, and um, I suppose it was like <laughs> you painting walls and painting offices in the in the clubhouse and turn the lights off after training and, you know, I suppose possibly have a little bit of doubt at that point around where, you know, what you're doing, are you doing the right thing? It seems an awful long way to go to get to where you want to go. And um, I might just sort of like reassure myself and just say, look, just keep going. I suppose I did. So I don't, I can remember having, you know, I worried about the situation. It wasn't an easy situation to be in. Um, I think your ego takes a bit of a kick in because you're used to playing and being a footballer. And I suppose with that comes, you know, an element of credibility perhaps or self-esteem and then suddenly you're not doing anything that you were doing previously and it doesn't feel anything like what you're previously doing where you're getting up and you're putting your boots on and you're playing football and all the rest of it so I think your ego and your self-esteem can take a little bit of a kicking so it's it's probably just making sure that you look after yourself in those moments. 100% I think I guess the question more comes from a perspective is not would you necessarily do anything differently because I think, you know, I'm a firm believer as, you know, the things that we've been through, we have developed us into the people that we've become today. But I think more, more so maybe, you know, if there was something that you can think, like, you know, actually this might just make it a little bit more easier to manage, if you like. Do you yeah. know, knowing that, like you said, it might just be, it will be okay. Just, just, just keep doing your best or whatever that might be. Do you know what I mean? And I think those little things sometimes got overlooked and often missed just how important it is just to have that little vote of confidence to say you're doing the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's more affirmation than anything else. So I don't think it's particularly anything different. It's, it's just someone, you know, if the 50 year old version can speak to the 30 year old version, it'll just be, look, just keep doing it. You're right. We're doing the right. Just, you know, it may not feel like it. <laughs> you know, there are days where you're not going to feel particularly good about everything, but you're doing all right. Um, and I think I think that's the key piece. So I guess you know, just as we look to kind of maybe wrap up, then you know, and you did kind of touch on it a little bit earlier. You've given us a bit of a, a bit of an, a message that you give to yourself there. But you know, if there's any coaches out there that listen to this, thinking right, what 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 was one key takeaway that I can take from Alex's journey? You know, what would be a, a golden nugget if you like, or a couple um, that you'd really offer them to maybe start considering and thinking about applying within their own journeys. I think it's probably around just doing the hard yards and you might not see them as all you made. Sometimes there's a race to get to an academy or, you know, and and again, I think there's some real benefits in that. But if I look back, I really, I'm so grateful for 10,000 hours spent with, Horsley or Book and Colts or Leonard. I'm so grateful for that because I think there's something around understanding people and understanding yourself as a coach, what makes you tick. And are you prepared to be dedicated when 
it's not the best pitches, it's not the best players, it's not the best kit, it's not your initials on, on your training top. It's actually, it all looks and feels a little bit different. So I think just, I think there's a real value in actually understanding what it is that you do and why you're doing it. And I think sometimes, I think I use the expression at the beginning, sort of like under the cover of darkness, you know, making your mistakes away from people and and just you know, doing exactly that and not being, you know, not defining yourself. There's, there's plenty of coaches I know who I think are outstanding and top who aren't working at Cat One Academies, but they're Cat One coaches. And on the flip side of that, I know plenty of coaches that are working at Cat One Academies that aren't Cat One coaches either. <laughs> you know, so I don't think you should let where you're working define you as a coach. I think. You know, ultimately, the feedback that you need and the validation you need as a coach isn't necessarily the result or the, or the badge that you're wearing. It's around the feedback from the players and the feedback from the parents or the people that you interact with. And you'll know whether you're a Cat One coach because you'll know what you're adding to their lives. So I think it's probably just not needing the, you know, making sure, be careful where you get your validation from as a coach because it isn't always where you think you need to look for it. And I think that's a great way to kind of, you know, finish up on it. I guess really just to follow up on what you said that you know one quote that really comes out of me sometimes is you know the journey that you run is not it's a, it's a marathon not a sprint but if it was a sprint how far would you be willing to sprint if you didn't know where the finish line was yeah it's true very good you just said what i said far better you've done that twice now <laughs> but no alex it's been a it's been a fantastic conversation i think there's some really really um key bits that people can kind of pick up on and just hopefully start to think about even if it doesn't necessarily cause a change it can maybe influence or provoke a thought at least um so i really want to say thank you for your time this evening i really appreciate it and hope you've enjoyed it too i have i've really enjoyed it it's been great talking with you so hopefully you can do it again well there you have it guys another episode of the coaches network podcast where our aim is to bring the world of athlete talent and personal development together to just one platform and you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care.